The life of Caleb offers us several lessons about being a man of God. He is faithful, he's consistent, he's courageous, and determined. And God is calling men everywhere into a similar example by faith through the power of the Holy Spirit. Let me pray real quick. Lord, I pray that you would just continue to be with us today. And Lord, thank you for the many godly examples we have in our lives. And Lord, I pray that you give us strength and courage to answer that call to be godly men, to lead in our homes, to lead in our churches, and in our communities. We love you, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. So today we're going to look to uh, honor and encourage the men in our, our midst to step into the calling that they have been given. Being a man in our day and age is no easy task, and by today's cultural standards, hard to define. But it's even more difficult if you're hoping to be a man after God's heart in the midst of this increasingly godless culture. But the reality is that many of us hope and dream of making a difference. We dream of being the hero in our favorite movies. We dream of being successful in our work. We dream of being used by God and having a lasting impact on our communities, in our children's lives, in our children's children's lives as well. Although much of what I just said seems like an impossible task to many of us, and, uh, but the reality is that it takes a life of intentionality being intentional in every day. Becoming a man of God doesn't happen by accident. And maybe you know someone in your life as a man of God. I know, as far as for me, uh, I've been touched by mentors in my life in a way that uh, influenced me for God. Uh, my father wasn't a person that really was like that. Of course, my mom and my dad separated when I was six, and I never really had time with my father until I was 18, 16, 18, coming back to him. And that was a rough 13 years as far as wondering if my father loved me or was around, but he did. But as far as a spiritual mentor, he really wasn't, didn't really fill that, that role. He was a good father in that way, though, as far as loving me and wanting the best for me. But that role was actually filled by another uh, wonderful man, Jerry Nauman. And Becky's father is a person that I look up to as a mentor in my life. When I first met Becky, uh, we were able to go over to her, her parents' house there in Battleground, Washington, be able to spend holidays over there as well, but uh, be able to visit over there. And her parents were always and still are very hospitable. But I remember times being with Jerry out in the, his shop, big, gigantic building next to the house. Has a lot of things in there, but uh, you maneuver around and get to the workbench. And we, we spent some good times over there just talking and then me learning what, how he dealt with life. There were moments when he'd be working on something and it would go horribly wrong. And he'd look at it and go, huh. Oh, we need to pray about this. <laughs> and so he would start praying that God would help him with an answer, how to fix this, how to work on this. And so I saw that example. He was a person who was humble and still is. He's a person who's very meek and as well practical, uh, common sense type of person, and, uh, but sure and steady 
just a rock for the family. And uh, I just uh, look up to him so much, and I'm so thankful that God has allowed me to um, be mentored in a way through Jerry Nauman. And so I just want to say thank you to him. If he ever watches this at all, thank you so much. But today, as we think about the men of God in our lives, we're going to look back to the book of Numbers. Not really inspirational, but there's a moment there that I think we can look at, that we can learn more about some of the biblical qualities found in a man of God. In Numbers chapter 13, the first two verses be on the screen here behind me. You can look it up as well, too, because we're going to kind of camp out there in chapter 13 as well as chapter 14. Verses 1 and 2, The Lord said to Moses, Send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the Israelites. From each ancestral tribe send one of its leaders. And then in verses 3 through 16 in that same chapter, you'll see all those who have been listed who were sent from each tribe. We're going to skip over that for, for the moment. And then verse 17, if you look at there, you'll see how Moses tells them where to go. This is where you're headed and places you'll be going to. And then verses 18 through 19, we'll pick up there in Numbers chapter 13. See what the land is like, and whether the people who live there are strong or weak, few or many. What kind of land do they live in? Is it good or bad? What kind of towns do they live in? Are they unwalled or fortified? So basically, going in, get some intel on the people and the situation. What's going on there? What are we up against? And then verses 20 through 25 of that chapter tells of, what, of where they went on their 40-day journey and how they brought back a freak, freakishly large grape cluster and uh, to share back and show everyone what was going on. And then in Numbers uh, chapter 13, verses 26 through 33, I'm not going to put it up there because there's so many verses. You can find it there in your Bible as well and follow along. But let me read those verses to you. So they came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. There they reported to them and to the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here's its fruit. I'm sure they're holding up the freakishly large grape cluster. But the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak uh, there. The Amalekites live in the Negev. The Hittites, Jebusites, Amorites live in the hill country. And the Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. Now I'm thinking each time these different people groups were named, everyone's going, oh, 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 and it got worse and worse, and everyone's in an uproar, and oh, how can we go in? In verse 30, then Caleb silenced the people before Moses, and he said, we should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. But the men who had gone up with him said, we can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. And they spread among, uh, the, Israelites, they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. They said, the land we explored devours those living in it. That's a little over far reach there a bit. All the people we saw there are of great size. We saw the Nephilim there. The descendants of Anak come from the Nephilim. Those are big, gigantic, giant people. Uh, I think uh, Goliath was part of that crew as well. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we looked the same 
to them. So they give this report and they're saying, yeah, it's a great place, mm, but boy, yeah, you don't want to do that. <laughs> now, by this time in Jewish history, history, God had used Moses to lead the Israelites out of Egypt. He had led them through the Red Sea and then closed it behind them to destroy the army following them. Moses had led them to Mount Sinai, where God gave them the Ten Commandments. And now Moses had led them to the Jordan River. And on the other side of the river was their new home, the Promised Land. Now they, they had dreamed about this moment for centuries as they worked as slaves in Egypt. But before God allowed them to enter the land, He told Moses to have 12 men, leaders of the 12 tribes, to go into the Promised Land as spies and to bring back a report. And the spies checked out the land for 40 days, and when they came back, 10 of them said the land was filled with giants, and they reported that there was no way they could beat them. But two of the men, Joshua and Caleb, shared a different story. They told the people that, to trust God, and that God could be faithful to deliver them into the land He had promised. Now, at this moment in the story, the people of God have a choice to make. Caleb and Joshua have delivered an honest report with a faith-filled response to the potential dangers. They could have simply fallen in with the rest of the spies, but instead they chose to stand firm and to be bold. What inspired these two men? And what can we learn from them? What makes the difference in the life of a man of God? Let me share with you three things that make the difference in the life of a man of God. First, a man of God has divine resources. Man of God has divine resources. In Numbers chapter 14, verse 24, it says, But because my servant Caleb has a different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly, I will bring him into the land he went to, and his descendants will inherit it. So in this verse, verse 24, says Caleb was different because he had a different spirit in him. Have you ever noticed how some people complain about every setback and difficulty that comes his or her way? Oh, no, it's raining. Oh, no, things are going to go wrong. Oh, no, it's sunshiny. My plants are going to die. Oh, no, it's snowing. I hate snow. Oh, no. So never, never satisfied. And, and they just want to complain about a lot of different things. Well, others, though, seem to take it in stride and go on with life. Have you noticed how some people work and try to get ahead while others are always looking for an easier way or a shortcut to success? Maybe you have those friends that say, hey, I got a deal for you. I found something real great. Got to get on this deal. So what makes the difference between these people? It's what's inside. It's what's inside that makes the difference. Think for a moment of two balloons. One filled with water, sits on the ground, weighted down, unable to move, unable to rise. The other one is filled with helium. It pulls at its cord. It's always straining to rise toward the sky. It's what's inside that makes the difference. And the same is true of men. The, th the thing that makes the difference between a man always straining toward heaven and the one who is content to call this world his home is the spirit that's within him. In order to be a man of God, you must have God's Spirit in you. <laughs> That's why Jesus told Nicodemus so long ago, you must be born again. And why Paul commanded us to be 
filled with the Spirit. And as long as you continue on trying to do your, your, your best without accepting Jesus Christ, you will never be all you can be. You will never achieve what you were meant to achieve. You will never stand where you could have stood. For the Holy Spirit is the, is the divine resource of a godly man. Some of you later on will be filled with root beer floats. <laughs> but let me ask you today, are you filled with the Holy Spirit? Not, I'm not asking, do you have the Holy Spirit? Are you filled with the Holy Spirit? Is that little red needle on your Holy Spirit gauge pointing beyond the letter F? <laughs> Are you filled? A man of God has divine resources. Secondly, a man of God acts differently than others. <laughs> Again, that same verse, Numbers 14, verse 24, but because my servant Caleb has a different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly, I will bring him into the land he went to, and his descendants will inherit it. A man of God acts differently than others by following completely, by following wholeheartedly. Caleb followed the Lord completely, and in becoming a man of God, you must learn to follow the Lord completely with all you have, all that you are. There was no hypocrisy in Caleb. He was not willing to follow the Lord only when things were safe or only at church when, when people who believed as he did surrounded him. No, he followed the Lord completely, even when it meant going against the testimony of his brothers, went against the majority. <laughs> he was, along with Joshua, were the ones that said, no, nah, we can take this land. God has given it to us. Trust God. <laughs> May God send us more men who are willing to follow him completely. Men who know what is right, who know what is wrong, and who are willing to stand up and be counted. May God give us men who will say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And did you notice that Caleb was willing to do whatever needed to be done? Whatever the Lord called him to do, he did it. When the spies were returning from Canaan, you can imagine Caleb carrying a bunch of those grapes as well. Not too proud, he could carry those things. He didn't think manual labor was beneath him put a shoulder to the job at hand. And if you think you are too important to do some lowly job for Jesus, if you are too good to serve in some position, then you might just be too good for God to use. <laughs> that might get in the way of how God could use you for His glory. Remember, Luke chapter 16 tells us, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. So if you're only interested in positions with titles, let me remind you that Jesus washed the disciples' feet. A man of God follows the Lord completely. A man of God also acts differently because he follows the Lord cheerfully. Following the Lord cheerfully. Caleb followed the Lord cheerfully, and in becoming a man of God, you must learn to follow the Lord cheerfully as well, too. It's amazing. A number of people in churches today who act like, or at least look like, they've lost their last friend. It's amazing the number of people who pout when they give their tithes and offerings. <laughs> and that church is asking for more money. Okay, whatever. It's heartbreaking when there are people working in the church who act like it's an obligation or a chore they have to do. I'm so thankful we have a church family that throws in their, their, their efforts 
with a cheerful spirit, <laughs> able to do that and uh, uh, in a way that gives glory to God. If you're just serving out of obligation, though, if that's the way you feel, then really, maybe you shouldn't do it. <laughs> maybe you shouldn't do it. If it feels like a chore to you, if it feels like an obligation, if it just doesn't, maybe you should do something else. God doesn't need slaves to serve His throne. <laughs> he is the Lord of the empire of love. He wants men and women and children who serve Him cheerfully because they love Him and because they're grateful for all He's done for them. Jesus said He would build His church and He can do it without the complainer's labor and the miser's money. God can do it. On the other hand, again, if you want to be a man of God, then learn to serve cheerfully. And practice, practice having a heart of gratitude, contentment for all that God has given you. As we gather together and do things and stuff like that, if you have a tendency to go, you know, oh man, i got to do this again. Just think of what God has done for you. Just think of what other people have done for you as well too. And as you grow that thankfulness and gratitude, let that change your attitude in it as well too, to a more cheerful one. Being a man of God means that you act differently than others do. You follow the Lord completely. You follow the Lord cheerfully. You follow the Lord constantly. And you also follow the Lord by, well, by following constantly, of course. <laughs> and uh, in, in Joshua chapter 14, verses 10 and 11, behind me there, well, Numbers 14. Actually, that's Joshua. should be Joshua 14. <laughs> now then, just as the Lord promised, He has kept me alive for 45 years since the time he said this to Moses, while Israel moved about in the desert. So here I am today, 85 years old. I am still as strong today as the, as the day Moses sent me out. I'm just as vigorous to go out to battle now as I was then. So Caleb was saying this, and Caleb followed the Lord constantly. And in becoming a man of God, you must learn to follow the Lord constantly. From the day Caleb first began following the Lord until his death, he followed the Lord constantly. Forty-five years. Forty-five years after he had first gone as a spy, Caleb was still following the Lord. In all those years, he never once joined the complainers, and he never quit asking what God wanted him to do. And at age 85, you don't find Caleb sitting in a rocking chair. You don't find him watching the world go by and talking about the good old days. No, he, he was still working in God's kingdom, looking forward to the next challenge. What else does God have for me? Men of God act differently because they follow the Lord completely, cheerfully, constantly, and also by following faithfully. Caleb followed the Lord faithfully, and again, becoming a man of God, you must learn to follow the Lord Faithfully. Now, when I say faithfully, I mean that he followed God with faith. When Caleb and the other spies returned from the promised land and gave the reports, the others talked of, of giants and, and walled cities. They wanted to return to Egypt and the things they were missing out on by following God. Not Caleb. When he looked back, he remembered the chains and bondage of Egypt and, and the miracles of God, and he had faith. He said, if God could pull us through those difficulties, if He worked in the past, then He will continue to do so now. Caleb had faith. 
And guys, if you want to, want to be used by God, you must follow with faith. When difficulties arise, when finances are tight, when sickness strikes your home, when troubles come, when opportunities arise, you need to speak up, remembering how God has provided and protected in the past and reminding others that, God, that the God we serve is not some wimpy little pretend God we give lip service to, but that He is the faithful, almighty, miracle-working, loving God. In difficulties, a man of God has faith, and that makes him act differently than other people. A man of God has divine resources, a man of God acts differently than other people, and a man of God enjoys rewards others miss. A man of God enjoys rewards others miss. Back in Numbers chapter 14, <laughs> verses 24. In verse 24, we've read already, and I'll, I'll skip that portion of it and move on to verse 36 there. So the men Moses had sent to explore the land, who returned and made the whole community grumble against him by spreading a bad report about it. These men, responsible for spreading the bad report about the land, were struck down and died of a plague before the Lord. Of the men who went to explore the land, only Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, survived. So those were the ones. A man of God enjoys rewards others miss, like you will be saved. <laughs> you will be saved. The first reward you will enjoy as you give your life to God is that your life will be saved. The verses we just read tell us that the ten who rebelled against God died. But Joshua and Caleb lived. And when you give your life to Christ, you become a new creation. You are saved. No longer should you be worried about the things around you or what's going to be happening or, or even focusing on those things first. You should be focusing on the kingdom of God. And that becomes priority. That becomes priority in our lives when we are saved. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Focus on that, and then all those will carry along. You will be saved. A man of God enjoys rewards others miss, like uh, you will be honored. You will be honored. Not only will God save your life, He will also bring you honor. In the beginning, people made fun of Caleb. They wanted to stone him and Joshua. He had no respect and no honor. By the time the Israelites got to the banks of the Jordan River again, all the older men were dead except Joshua and Caleb. Their bodies littered the wilderness. Now Joshua and Caleb were held in high honor at the council meetings. Can you imagine how they asked him again and again to tell them about the miracles God did in Egypt? Tell us again about those stories. He was honored among men, for they saw what, that he was different. They saw that he was God's man. Also, you will be remembered. Man of God enjoys rewards. Others miss. You will be remembered. Because of the life Caleb lived, he was, put on, he was put on the most difficult jobs. If there was a task no one else could handle, it was given to Caleb. There were three huge warriors in Mount Hebron. No one, could, no one would try to kill them. No one would even face them but Caleb. And those giants with six fingers on each hand and six toes on each foot needed to be driven out 
so God's people could possess the land. Who would do it? Of course, Caleb would. Let's go get Caleb. And Caleb faced the giants and defeated them, so the land was safe for God's children. And as you walk with God, you will be given difficult tasks. You will be given difficult jobs. John 16, verse 33, Jesus warns us, in this life you will have trouble. (laughs) If you haven't noticed already, I'm just giving you a warning right now. You will have trouble. So we know the difficulties are coming if they they aren't here already for you. But as you walk through life in faith, trusting God through every trial and season, you will be remembered. You will leave a legacy to your children, your children's children, of how dad, how grandpa, great-grandpa was faithful, was able to follow God, get through those situations, Pray to God when there was a difficult situation coming ahead. Couldn't repair this certain uh, item in the shop. Give it to God. Let Him bring an answer to it. You will be remembered. You will also, you will leave an inheritance. You will leave an inheritance. You will leave an inheritance for your children, one way or another. (laughs) Blessed is any man who will leave a godly inheritance for his children. And I mentioned this before, and that's, uh, Becky and I, we determined that that's what we were going to do. I did not grow up in a Christian home, but I grew up in a home that uh, parents were common sense. Even my stepfather, common sense man. And uh, let me know what was right and what was wrong and direct me towards what needed to be done correctly. All those things. But I was not raised in a Christian home. And so when Becky and I got together and we decided we were going to get married and chose that route to go, and we determined we are going to have a family that's going to honor God. We are going to begin a spiritual heritage with this right here. We are going to intentionally do this. And so from there on, that's how we wanted to run our family and do that. (laughs) Of course, we didn't have any monetary inheritance to give our children, so (laughs) we, we felt that the spiritual heritage was the best thing that we could give more than any kind of monetary amount could be. What did Caleb leave his children? He left them the blessing of a nation who knew the Lord. He left them the example of a godly father and a godly grandfather as well. Caleb was faithful. He was bold. He was courageous. And he was determined. Caleb was a man of God worth imitating and modeling our lives after. Just as the Apostle Paul said in Scripture, he said, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. That's how we should be doing that. So, men, the Lord has issued the call for godly men. He is looking for men who will take up the cross and follow Him. He is looking for men who will walk with Him constantly, who will take the stand for right and who will invest their lives in something that will last for generations to come. He's looking for godly leaders willing to lead others. He's looking for those who are willing to become godly men. So are you that kind of man? Is something stirring in you today that you haven't felt in a while? Maybe maybe ever. (laughs) Is today the day you answer the call?
Maybe today is the day that you confirm that call that you've been following. If anything has resonated with you, please take some time to think and pray about it. Take some time this week, maybe, to consider the life you've, you've been given, you know, that you're living right now, and honestly ask yourself, is this the life God has called me to? Is this the legacy I want to leave behind? And if you're struggling, you know, please let me know. Please ask for help. Please ask for prayer. There's fellowship where you have the men's Bible study coming together. Be part of a, a network that you can connect in with. Be encouraged and challenged as well. See, Moses didn't send the spies into the promised land alone. He sent them together. Jesus didn't send the disciples out alone. He sent them in pairs. We are a spiritual house being built by living stones, one on another. And none of us can thrive alone. So don't do it alone. But God is calling men everywhere who are willing to become godly men through the power of the Holy Spirit. Question is, are you willing to answer that call? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this time together. Thank you, Lord, for who you are, what you're about to do. And I pray, Lord, that you'd be with each, each man here today. And Lord, I pray that you've stirred something in their hearts, Lord, that they would respond in prayer, saying, Lord, you're calling me to be a godly man. I, I need to get on board. I haven't really been doing that. And so today I want to commit that I will answer that call and be a godly man for my kids, for my grandchildren, grandchildren to come, whatever it might be, for those around me, to be a mentor to those around me. Lord, I, I commit that, and I want you to help me develop into that godly man. Maybe there's some here today who have already prayed that and are living in that call, and they just need a re refresher, a, a little encouragement, and maybe motivation. So I pray, Lord, that you would do just that in those men's lives. And all of us together, Lord, that we would be able to stand up and stand for you and move forward as you lead us. So, Lord, I pray that you would stir in us the need to draw closer to you. And, Lord, just thank you for who you are and what you're about to do in our lives. We love you so very much. In your name we pray. Amen.